0: Awesome. Well, welcome, everybody, and good morning to Marin Covenant Church. You found yourself right in the beginning of this new series, Jesus Is, and this morning we're looking at Jesus is the bread of life. How awesome. I lucked out on the food one. Jesus is the bread of life, and I love bread. So this is going to be great. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a meal, you look forward to a meal, and you eat it, and, uh, and it's so fulfilling, and so it satisfies every part of you, and you're like, this is great. And then like an hour and a half later, you're like, I could really go for some ice cream or whatever. You know, like, it's like this momentary thing. It's great. And then it's kind of gone. Well, this morning, we're going to look at this idea that Jesus, uh, that that for all of us who hunger for satisfaction, that Jesus is the bread of life. And uh, I don't know about you if you've ever had these dreams or these kind of pictures of who you want yourself to be. And then what happens when you kind of lean into them and you get close? There's this kind of weird existential crisis that happens. And I experienced this uh, last fall. So to go back 20 years or so, uh, when I was 23, or less than 20 years, I'm not that old, but when I was 23, I was just starting in youth ministry, and I was going to take some youth group kids backpacking, and I hadn't been backpacking since I was in seventh grade, so I didn't have any equipment, but I really wanted to go, and one of the old guys from the church was like, hey, come to my house. I have the stuff. I'm like, oh, this is great, and uh, so I come to his house, and he opens up the garage door, and I I, was like, I could hear angels go. And I don't know if you ever been to like if like you know, a kind of a fifty year old man's garage is like something for a young whippersnapper to be like, this is awesome. And I walk into this, like, you know, his temple in his garage, and, and, and I'm looking at all the different things that he has, and he takes me to the backpacking section of his garage. And, and I go to the backpacking section of his garage, and he starts pulling out, oh, you need a tent, you need a backpack, you need stoves, and he has, like, freeze-dried food from, like, 20 years earlier. He's like, oh, it's, it's all good. And he starts unloading all this stuff and handing it to me, like, this is great. And he goes, and I go on my trip, and, it, and, it, and it's great. And ever since then, I'm like, someday— I'm gonna have a garage like that, someday. And I kind of put that in the back burner. Um, But this last fall, I was cleaning out my garage and I had this epiphany. I've arrived. I have a man's garage, finally. I was looking around my garage, we were cleaning all up, and sure enough, I too have a backpacking section of my garage full of all my REI points from taking kids to, on trips and cashing in those points for selfish gain to get some REI stuff. I'm like, this is great. So I have all my, all that stuff. And then I clean out my garage, and did you know I have like all sorts of fishing equipment. I didn't even know I was a fisherman, but somewhere in the last 20 years I tried fishing, so I bought like fishing poles and tents, I mean, and tackle boxes and the whole thing, and they were stashed somewhere. I have tennis rackets and racquetball rackets. I don't even remember the last time I played, but I have all that stuff on the drop of a hat. Someone's like, you wanna play racquetball? done. I'm ready to go. I have that in my garage. I have a surfing section. I have arts and craft stuff. I have books that I wrote that no one bought. I have a box of those. They're all sitting right there. This is my garage. And I'm like, I have arrived. And more than just my garage, I remember in the fall thinking, I really had a ride. I looked inside of my two beautiful kids who were drawing pictures of how much they loved me. Um, you know, and my wife was making dinner and dressed all beautifully and like just looking at me adoringly. I'm like, this is perfect. I turn around, I have two cars in the driveway, one is paid off. I had arrived. And sure enough, in the next couple of months, our church was gonna vote on a on a promotion for me. I was gonna move from youth pastor to one of the lead pastors, and this was the end. I had arrived. My dream, my vision of who I thought God had made me to be was all coming to fruition, and sure enough, I felt like it was two hours after a Chinese food buffet. I had this moment of like, yes, I've arrived, and then within moments, I was like, it still wasn't settled. There was this thing inside of me that was not quite right. And in fact, it was so not quite right, my wife's like, you know what, you should probably consider talking to a counselor about that, because I found myself being angry and irritable, and I was just not content. On paper, I should be so content. But I found no contentment, and I was struggling, I was really wrestling, and I really hungered for satisfaction, and I could not find any. And being a pastor, I knew, duh, of course the answer is Jesus, but even as a pastor, even as someone whose my whole life and profession is to be wrapped up in a knowing and loving Jesus, I was still seeking and finding satisfaction in all these fleeting things. And, uh, and this morning, we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture, and uh, the way I think the safest way to approach this is we're going to look at it from the outside, okay, so that way it won't hurt us too much. But we're going to look at this passage in John chapter 6, and we're going to see this encounter that Jesus had uh, with some of his followers, and, uh, and if you let yourself get too close, you, it's going to be rough. I've spent a, hard, a long uh, week wrestling through this stuff, and maybe God has something for it for you as well. So if you have a Bible, turn to John 6, and we're going to take a look at this encounter that Jesus had with people who desperately wanted to be satisfied. So in John chapter 6, verse 25, it begins this way. So when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So immediately, as you can tell, we've caught ourselves in the, very, in the middle of the story when they found him. So him is Jesus, that helps us, but they is this crowd of people. So earlier in chapter 6, you see that Jesus fed the 5,000. So Jesus is out teaching, he's teaching with authority, and people are lit, loving it. I mean, he is laying down some great wisdom, and people are soaking it all up. Well, he's teaching, teaching, and teaching. It's getting to be dinner time, and he's like, man, even people who love my teaching, there's going to be a riot, so they're trying to figure it out, but there's a whole miracle, and Jesus ends up feeding 5,000 people. So all these people go and they hear all this great stuff from Jesus and then get a free meal on top of it. It's like, oh, this is perfect. And so all these people have this great meal, this great teaching, and, and they go to bed. Well, in the middle of the night, the disciples take a boat across the lake. Jesus walks on water, goes across the lake, and, um, and they wake up and he's not there. So they go to the other side of the lake and they catch up with Jesus, and that's where we find ourselves. So when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So they asked him, What sign will you give us so that we can see it and believe you? in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And would you pray with me before we hop into this? Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I thank you that you love us, that you long for us to know you. And we have so many issues and so much baggage and so many things that prevent us from doing that. I just pray for this moment, God, you would help us to loosen our hands on those things that we'd be open to whatever you might have for us, Then that you would draw us closer to your son, Jesus, so that we may know him and love him and be fully satisfied, both now and forevermore. Amen and amen. All right, so these, all these guys, they go around the lake, and they find Jesus, and they say, how did you get here? Where, how'd you get here? And Jesus comes straight out and says, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill it's funny because normally you think Jesus is loving and he loves little children and he puts his hand on them. Or, or sometimes he like, you know, rails on the Pharisees and the religious people. We love that too. But here's this straight up kind of direct, straight to the heart of all these people who ran after Jesus. Because the truth is all of us love comfort. Comfort is like rolling downhill, right? It's the, it's the, it's the path of least resistance. We love being comfortable. If something is easy, we're going to naturally go that way. And it is in us. And Jesus comes straight at these guys, straight to their heart, and says, the only reason why you're here, the only reason that you hiked all the way around this lake is because your stomach was full. Because you think I'm like this one-trick pony, and I'm going to give you things, and it's going to make you feel good. What a brutal starting point for this whole conversation. And I think it's brutal because when I think of us and our walk with God, truthfully, we love comfort as well. And we love comfort in our real life, but we also love comfort in our walk with God. I mean, we have desperately tried as a staff and as a leadership team to make our church comfortable. We have the air conditioning going, the lighting's beautiful, you know, we have some great programs for your kids, we have coffee, when there's no coffee, you, you revolt. I mean, right, we want this to be comfortable, because we know that the way our culture is, that if there's something better or something easier or something nicer or something more beautiful, like, we're going to naturally get there. And we realize that, I mean, that's just the way that our culture works, and so we Start from a place of comfort. We know that we need comfort. And for good or bad, our church has kind of like said, yeah, we want you to be comfortable. But for as much as we want you to be comfortable, we also want you to hear the word that God has for us, because God doesn't simply want us to be comfortable. Being comfortable only satisfies for that moment, right? If you've ever like sat and watched football all day yesterday, like some of us, right? And enjoyed college football all day. At the end of the day, you kind of feel like, oh, like, like, that wasn't quite as satisfying as in the middle of the day when you're eating food and watching football all day, right? Comfort it works for this moment, but it doesn't satisfy us forever. And so we all want comfort. And Jesus, I think, c- c- comes straight out and gives us this gut check and says, you're only here because of what I can do for you. And as we think about how do we move forward with God, it's a good gut check for us to think, what are we really doing in our walk with God? Are, are we doing this because of what we want God to do for us? Or is this because of what we want to do for God? And the truth is, in, nat- in neutral, all of us, Want stuff from God. But as we mature in Christ, right, a, a child only takes from their family, but a mature child learns how to give back to their family, right? And that's what God asks for us. So he says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. For the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Well, then they ask him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And I love that, right? Whenever we're called being a slacker, we're like, We're not slackers. We'll go to work. Tell us what to do. And what's interesting is in the religious world, like, we get that like it's in us. Like We feel like we have to do something. And There's a reason why every religion all across the world, people feel like they have to earn God's favor and earn God's approval because we know that there's some sort of separation between us and God. So we're like, all right, tell us what to do. What's the job? And we will do it. Tell us the work that we have to do, and we are all about it. Uh, earlier in Scripture, Jesus comes across the rich young ruler. There's, there's this guy, and he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, he says, well, follow the Ten Commandments. like, duh, I've done that since birth. He's like, no, what must I really do? And then finally Jesus is like, do you really want to know? All right, you have to give up everything and give it to the poor. He's like, oh, too much. Shouldn't have asked the follow-up question. Just a little rule of thumb. Um, And so he he walks away, right? But it's in us. We all desperately want to do this work. We want to do the work of God. And uh, because we feel like there has to be some way to make it right. And so they say, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. And in some sense, that feels way too easy, but it feels too easy because we just think, oh, we believe. But they got to that believing was actually really hard because believing actually takes effort. You look at this stool right here. And you go oh this is a great stool it's nice and it's strong and you could probably sit on it if you want michael did and you know he's thinner than me i'm a little bit of a bigger guy is it strong enough i go well maybe i believe that this can hold me but that's different what jesus is talking about is that do you believe that this will hold you right and the only way that you know you can believe it all day you can kind of lean on it but the only way that you know right is when you sit on it and you lift up your feet and you're like i trust this stool right that takes some effort it takes some guts especially we've seen some chairs around here where you are like i don't know about that And um, so Jesus says the true work is that you believe, that you trust, that you trust in me. And because we're humans and because we're broken, all of our relationships are broken. And we don't even really know how to engage in a normal relationship that's whole and healthy where we trust somebody. We're always trying to get something out of each other. Um, Like, I love my wife to death, but often I think, what do I need to do for my wife so that she'll give me kisses, right? That's like my barometer of things as well. What do I do for her if I do these things for Katie then she'll love me back and give me some kisses and our marriage will be great, right? That's easy, but the bummer is if I do that, then our relationship is just, right, it's just this exchange. We're not two human beings engaged in doing life together. I'm just trying to get a transaction from her and she's like, oh, I guess this is my time to give transaction back, right? It's not the way that God intended it to be. That is super easy if I think, what must I do to get this from Katie? That's actually a very simple thing to do. A much harder question is what must I do to love Katie? Right? What must I do to love her, to see her, to think about the person that God is making her to be and to find all the ways to support that and to care for her and to woo her and to just ooze love towards her? That's way harder. And what's wild is even if I do that, chances are I'm going to get kisses just because she loves me back. Like it's this relationship. But we're so used to transactional relationships. What must I do for you to behave this way towards me? And Jesus cuts straight to the quick and says, no. The work of God is to believe in me, to be in relationship with me, not transactional relationship with me, but faith relationship with me. And you know it's hard because the way that they respond is they come straight out and they say this, well, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? I love it. It's so awesome. And you gotta love when, if ever you're gonna duke it out with God, and these guys are duking out with Jesus, Jesus, we get that he wants to trust you and believe you, but what are you gonna do? How are you gonna prove who you are, so we can do it. And just yesterday, they had a free food, right? They had a free meal yesterday, and today they're like, no, but what are you going to do today? And then they, I love it, because when you go to Jesus, and then you like bust out like the Bible on Jesus, you know Moses gave us food from heaven. And Jesus is like, you idiots. Now, you have to look in the Greek, and if you study the Greek, it really says, you idiots, comma, don't you know that that food was not from Moses, but I gave you that food. That food is from heaven. It's from me, and I'm the bread of heaven. And, uh, but what's so funny, they, they do that all the time. Us humans, we have such a short memory. And what's so crazy is all the people who experienced Moses, right, who lived during Moses' time, every day they ate manna. Every morning they walked outside their tent, oh, food to eat. Ate that every day. There was a, a big pillar of fire at night, a pillar of smoke a day. Every day they saw miracles with their own eyes, and yet they still walked away. They still didn't believe. Jesus' disciples, people, Jesus walked around for three years in this whole area, healing people and touching people, teaching, doing incredible, incredible things, and yet at the end, people still walked away. So it isn't just that we believe, and it isn't just that we see that that we're going to believe, that there is this thing called faith. And anytime you think, I have to see in order to believe, just know that you are going to be in big trouble, because the truth is, I bet there was some point in your life where you're like, God, show up, and God showed up for you, but then you forgot, because that was yesterday. And we cannot outlawyer Jesus. And so when Jesus says, the thing is, you need to believe. And if our stance is, well, then you need to prove it to me, we're only going to lose out. And if we lose out, then we miss out on the main crux of this whole conversation. Because this whole conversation that he's having with, these, with his followers are not how do you get free bread, not how do you believe. But what happens when you actually t- trust in Jesus, when you actually put your faith in Jesus, you will be satisfied forever. So Jesus goes on and says, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And I love it. And somehow, I mean, this is only one mini paragraph in here, but somehow you can see the conversation that Jesus is having with them. And if you've ever had this time like when you imagine a conversation with Jesus and you're praying with him and you're kind of duking it out with him and as you're going back and forth, there's kind of this moment where you're like, oh, I give. Or, oh, okay, I'm going to listen. And that's exactly what happens here. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And as these followers say, sir, always, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. And we think about that for all of us who hunger and thirst for satisfaction, who hunger and thirst for wholeness. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And so if we want to experience wholeness, if we want to um, experience fulfillment, then we have to realize that what feeds us needs to be the things of God. And so I have three quick things before we wrap it up here that I think will help us. So if we want to eat the food that satisfies, the first thing we need to do is we have to eat the food, that we have to eat what we want to grow. This is a, a, just a rule of thumb that works for everyone and all people in all times. It doesn't matter if you love Jesus, if you never even thought about Jesus, if you want to do, if you want to grow something, You feed it. If you want to kill something, you starve it. Think of your body, right? You want to grow and get into a larger size pants like I do, you eat eat, eat, right? If you want to start, if you want to get into a smaller size pant, you starve your body, right? And you lose, lose. lose. That's how it works. But this, but even more than your body, it's actually your heart. Like the things in your heart, if you want to be more grateful, right? You build up the things that causes more great uh, gratitude. A couple years ago, Linda Mazzarello uh, told our staff about this book, a thousand gifts, and, um, and a bunch of people on staff decided to take a crack at it, including my wife. And basically, the gist is: um, try to your journaling, and you have to come up with a thousand things you're grateful for. A thousand things—that's so many. I could do like seventy-five, no problem, right? Maybe a hundred. But think about: it, pretty soon, you're gonna have to start being creative. The way that you're gonna engage your day—if you're gonna, like, I gotta get my journal done today—the way in which you're gonna engage the world is gonna be so different, right? Your stance towards the world is. I need to be thankful because i got to get my journal done today. And you're like, how can I be thankful? How can I be grateful? And sure enough, daily, day in, day out, 200 times, 400 times, 700 times, 900 times, all of a sudden you have changed your heart. You've turned your heart to say, gratitude is the thing that I'm about. And all of a sudden you starved envy and selfishness and pride, right? Those things, they all go away. But the inverse is true. If you want to be more envious and angry in your life, all you have to do is feed those things. Feed those things that you want to grow, Starve the things that you want to die. All right, so that's, that's number one. Um, number two is to do this. The way that you eat um, is that you, you eat the word, which sounds kind of silly, but for those of the people who have been around the church a long time, for people, uh, Jesus' Jewish uh, hearers, they would know that they would equate manna, the, the food that they ate um, during the wilderness, they equated that to the word of God. And Moses clarified all this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. says this, that he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this food, every day for 40 years, they're getting from God. Moses goes, that was great and all, but listen, that is not the point. The point is every day you eat that food, it grows your body. But every day, the way that you grow and are healthy is that you spend time connecting to the word of God. What's interesting is uh, in John chapter, I mean Matthew 4, when uh, Jesus, uh, he goes in the desert before he starts his ministry, right? He doesn't eat for 40 days, and, uh, and then the, tempter, the devil comes and tempts him. And he says, okay, I'll turn these—I mean, think about how hungry that is, right? I haven't eaten since breakfast. Like, you're hungry. 40 days of that. The tempter goes, hey, here's some loaves of bread. Eat this and you'll be satisfied. And Jesus quotes this passage and says, no, you do not live on bread alone, but on the word of God. It is the word of God that fulfills us and sustains us. Um, so how do you do that? Well, here's the deal. You, it's very simple. You simply do it by sometime time in your day, spend time in God's word. It is not rocket science. And especially in youth ministry, we, we always keep trying to come up with new and clever ways to do it. Some of you guys have been around the church for a long, long time. You're like, that's so boring. I need something different. It is true. There's a gazillion ways to connect with God. But those are after we've already been in the normal habit of spending time in God's Word, studying His Word, being fed by God's Word. And so that's the things that we want to do. So if you're like, I don't even know where to start, don't start in Genesis. Don't just thumb through and pick a verse. Start somewhere easy. So I confessed last service. Uh, we did a summer in the Scriptures. Well, by the end of August, I got distracted and other things, and I actually kind of fell off the wagon a little bit. So come September, I'm like, I'm going to get back into my normal uh, Bible reading plan. But what I do is I, I same thing. I read a Bible in the morning in my journal. And I started with James. How easy is James? James, five chapters. That's a totally easy win. Five days, one chapter a day, spend time in God's word. That's where you start. And as you do that, right, God builds your muscle memory for that. God builds your strength for that. So I think a great way, if you're like, I have no place to start, open up the Bible, read a chapter, reflect on it, God, what do you have for me in that? Writing in a little journal. Um, helps kind of solidify that whole process and see what God has for you. Sometimes people uh, bring uh, journals, I mean, uh, devotionals that they buy, like My Utmost for His Highest is a popular one, Jesus Calling is, is a popular one. There's all sorts of little books that kind of help you along your way to kind of give you fresh insight to Scripture. So if you don't have one, email Jeff, he'll gladly buy you one. He might even take it out of my budget, but that's fine. But you should find a way in which you can do that. And what we started on our app and on our website is every Wednesday, um, one of the pastors, whoever preached, so you'll get one from me this Wednesday, you got one from Jeff last Wednesday, is just another little tidbit. Hey, here's a scripture for further reading and some questions to think. If it sounds so basic, and I don't even mean to patronize you, but even though we know what we need to do, like you can know what you need to know, what you need to know, but it's not until we actually do it. It's not until we go, oh, when we put those things into practice till we actually can grow And be strengthened by all that god has for us so if we want to eat the bread that's going to give us eternal life that bread is the word of god is actual real scripture like the bible so spend time in it and the last thing is this that jesus invites us to trust him that if we are going to truly be satisfied eat the bread where jesus says i am the bread of life at the end of the day it's about trusting in jesus Chapter uh, six, verse 40 in uh, John six says this. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. This is God's will. God's will is that every single person that looks to him would be fed, would be satisfied, would have full life and have everlasting life. That is the will of God. It's not for some small little section of people. It's not just for you and your friends. It is for the whole world. That is the will of God, that for all people who look to him, who trust in him, to be saved. And not just say, like, go to heaven one day, but saved in the core of their being, to, like, not be um, always looking for the next thing to find fulfillment, but to be satisfied and content, to trust in Jesus. And what's hard about trusting in Jesus means we have to usually let go with something else. I love this picture of the trapeze because there's this moment on the trapeze, right, where you're holding on to one one thing and you grab onto the other. And you can be holding on to both, but that's still not trust. It's not until you let go of the other bar until you've actually trusted the other person. And Jesus is putting his arms out and asking, will you trust me? Will you trust that my food will be what feeds you and sustains you? It's interesting, when I think about all the... um, all the things I want to do to continue to stay healthy and, and kale is like this new thing, which I don't understand because kale is disgusting, but somehow people go, no, it's really good and good for you. So I'm like, okay, I'll give it a try. So if I think, all right, what am I going to do? I'm going to eat kale. I'm going to eat kale, I'm going to eat kale, I'm going to eat kale. Oh, this is really great. But the deal is, unless I also give up on the, oh, I'm going to eat ice cream Sundays, I'm going to eat ice cream Sundays, I'm going to eat ice cream Sundays, right? I, I miss out on what the kale can do for my body, right? The kale can't do its work as long as I'm eating my ice cream Sundays. Right? I can be doing it all the time, and we see this all the time with people in church, I, people who love Jesus desperately, people who trust him with their whole life, but yet are anchored to something else. And our hope for you as a church, our hope as a community, is that we would be people who would daily be in the process of picking up our cross daily. What that means is every day we go, God, what is this thing over here? I know you have this for me, but I can't fully get about this unless I give up this thing. And so my question for you to think about is what are you holding on to? What are you white knuckling? What is the thing that you think is gonna satisfy your soul? What is in your garage that you just thought was gonna make it right for you? What is around your table that you're like, this is gonna make me feel better? What is that thing? Because until you identify what that is, until you say, Jesus, I need to let go of this and trust in you, you you're always gonna be in the middle of this teeter-totter. And Jesus' hope and prayer for us For all people who hunger for satisfaction. Jesus is the bread of life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a minute. I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to take communion in a second. But I want to just give you a few moments. In front of you is a card um, and some paper, and I would love for you just to think about what is it that you are holding on to. What have you been seeking to satisfy your soul that maybe this morning Jesus is like, you know what, maybe it's time to let go of that. Maybe it's time to consider let go in that. I mean, the greatest thing about God is he's so gracious. I love our, 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 our mission statement because he's gauging with the spiritually hungry towards a life in Christ. Jesus is so generous and gracious to us. Maybe the, the invitation for you is to begin to consider what to let go of it. Maybe God was crystal clear to you and said, nope, it is time to be done with this because God's hope for us is to, pick, is to put down the thing that's holding us back and pick up the bread of life which will satisfy us forever. So we'll spend some time in silent reflection, and then we'll have communion together.